I can't say that. I need to. Say yes, you can. You could say that. You could say that. Oh, so, something funnier. I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> you know, every time I've read this, I'm like, I need something funnier. Uh. So we review a lot of Eisner Award-winning and nominated comics. But you know what we're missing, Roman? A review of our favorite 90s comics pinup ca- calendars? Uh, sure. But also, we haven't reviewed any comics from the namesake of that award, Will Eisner. And as our loyal fans, or fan, might know, we began the year reviewing Akira, which happens to begin with the letter A, and we've been winding our way down the alphabet, so now we're at the letter W. And W is for what? We haven't been reading any Will Eisner? Exactly that. So this week on Quarantine Comics, we're going to take a look at some of the works of Will Eisner, a cartoonist often considered the grandfather of the graphic novel. Specifically, we'll look at some of his early work on the superhero strip The Spirit, which was published in newspapers throughout the 1940s, but we'll spend most of our time discussing his seminal work 1978's A Contract with God and maybe a collection of some of his vignettes from New York, the big city. Eisner was a pioneer of the comics genre. He was really experimental and in some of his most interesting work completely did away with the rigid panel structure that's so common in modern comics. His characters were evocative and full of personality and they were crowded into environments that were full of atmosphere. In some of his comics, you practically can feel the gritty air of New York City on your skin. At the same time, his work through his characters confronted life's complexities around religiosity, upward mobility, loneliness, and desperation. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two guys who are also confronting life's complexities around religiosity, upward mobility, loneliness, and desperation. Well, some of those at least. So, Robin, was this your first time reading Will Eisner? It was. Yeah, this, he's a comics blind spot of mine, not unlike Bruce Springsteen or Bob Dylan once were for me. So I'm really glad we chose to read this for W versus a lot of the other obvious choices like Watchmen or Wonder Woman or Worm. So, yeah. What about you? First time reading Will Eisner? I'd read A Contract with God before and it kind of flipped through some of the spirit stories. Mm-hmm. That was when I remember when Frank Miller's The Spirit came out in 2007 or 8. Yeah. Um, and it was just completely different from the comic. And then I. I how I, old I were you when. How old were you when you read some of those? I was probably in my early 20s when I read Contract with God for the first time. And then. Okay. That one actually really resonated with me because I was reading a lot of like kind of New Yorker style short stories, so-called literary fiction mm-hmm. at that time. It kind of has the like the the real incisive look at different characters, the way that you'd expect more from like literature rather than rather than graphic novels. At least that was my expectation at the time when I was, you know, in my early 20s. Yeah, I mean, you know, Will Eisner is just this person that I'd heard of a lot. You hear of the Eisner Awards once you start reading non-superhero comics. And I even have a book on my bookshelf that I got as some like clearance sale of Will Eisner and Frank Miller in conversation with each other. And I kind of held off on reading it because I knew who Frank Miller was, but I didn't really understand who Will Eisner was. And I, I actually wondered, had I had I read that sooner, would I have been drawn to reading Will Eisner sooner? But uh, yeah. I don't think he ever worked for Marvel or DC. He was always kind of off doing his own thing, innovating 
on his own terms. And I, I kind of wonder if that's why, you know, he just isn't as well known. He never really worked on on the characters that you grow up reading and that you associate with the comics with the comics genre. But, you know, again, and this is me reading between the lines, you know, so many have heard of Will Eisner but not experienced him. But so many of the comics creators that we know and love, right, have this deep admiration for what he did and how he did it, be it. And even like in I remember in Batman, the animated series, I think I read somewhere like there's the character of the great ghost who inspired Bruce Wayne to like be a dark mm. detective and things like that. So it's like there's a lot of homages and kind of nods to he showed us the way that we could tell stories this way. Um, so it's kind of like who influenced the Beatles, who influenced Bob Dylan. That's kind of how Will Eisner is like looked at and revered and like. Well, well, we'll touch a little bit on the spirit. I mean, it's really interesting. He had been making comics and then he got offered this job to do a regular serial in the newspaper because I think maybe superhero comics like Superman and stuff were taking off at the time. I don't remember or if this is like pre-Superman, but he was like, no, I'm going to do it my way. And he kind of like fought for doing the storytelling. And from the forward I read in the book, like he worked his ass off to like, you know, crank out like a full 10 page story illustrated and drawn like every week so i don't know what did, what did you think of the spirit so let's talk about let's talk about the spirit since that's his earliest work you know it's actually there's there's decades that between like the spirit and contract with god so we're really kind of seeing his early work as like uh 20 something and his more mature work as he starts to as he started to really kind of perfect his his craft what did you think of the spirit i mean it's not a fair thing to, to make a judgment on it because we read but probably both some of volume one which is like you know five or ten issues where the spirit or not even five or ten issues it's probably you know a, a year's worth of work is what we barely scratched the surface of and he did the spirit for decades and i kind of wish i'd gotten you know the collected spirit or the spirit archives volume one through five and flipped through you know the first couple of pages of each because you don't really see the evolution. We see the origin and the first four or five adventures and it's dated. You can kind of see the early influence and definitely the racial, the racial stereotypes as well. <laughs> yeah. That's, wow. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Uh, it's bad. Let's just say that not the spirit is bad. Like it's, I mean, the art is actually really fucking good. You know, having read early Bob Kane, and having read early Batman, early Superman stuff from the 40s, this is light years more complex, like in terms mm -hmm. of architecture of the drawings, the the fast beats to get through a story in like five pages. Like this is just. Again, it's it, it's it's really you can see that he already had a, a mastery of the craft or because of the constraint that he forced him into himself into like this is kind of light years above some of the other superhero comics that were coming out at the time. And yes. so that's pretty admirable. So I but have, it was okay. <laughs> I have a compilation. So I, you know, cause you have, I think the full first volume, which is sort of like strip by strip that he did. Yeah. And yeah. the yeah. version I have is much more like it's an abridged selection that came out, you know, in conjunction with uh, the movie. And so I've got a selection of strips from 1940 all the way to 1950. And so it does kind of have a cross section. Yeah, how does it evolve? A lot. So the first episode, the first issue where Denny Colt, the spirit, becomes the spirit, it's very, it's 
it's very boxy, right? There's there's all of these there's all of these panels, and he actually does. You know, one thing that he does do that I don't think other comic creators did at the time is he he definitely even in that first issue, he's experimenting with panel sizes. He's having characters kind of burst out of the panels. He's definitely experimenting with the the form of comics and the way the panels are shaped. But that first issue is still very much like almost feels sort of boxed in, like the characters feel sort of crammed in. This is Will Eisner doing his earliest work. And then as you kind of progress later on, you see him become a lot more playful in terms of the pacing, in terms of some of the title pages, like what he does when, you know, like where, when, you know, they have the title of the spirit in the first page. He never, um, he, he never he, had a logo. He never had a logo. Yeah. Nah, yeah. Like, so the, in, in one issue, you know, it's, the his it it shows like the spirit standing against a brick wall and the and the wall is kind of in the shape of well it spells out the spirit and so he incorporates the 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 titles sort of into the into the actual image in a way that even today i don't think a lot of a lot of cartoonists do so he's like you can see even though this is his more conventional work and it, and by conventional, I mean it's like a superhero story, and it's told mostly in panels. You can see from time to time he's being very playful with it and trying to experiment with the form. He has one called The Story of Rat Tat, the toy machine gun, which is sort of like a spirit primer. And that's told in a very unconventional way that was kind of difficult for me to describe on a podcast. But it's not like a typical, you know, square rectangular panel structure that you know is so it's so common in the the comic book genre so i i I do i actually really kind of like seeing the sophistication of the graphical storytelling really really evolve yeah that's what i was gonna say so like his his craft evolves and it's from the the further along he got and you know we saw this with bill watterson and calvin and hobbs right like and and i make the comparison because it was in the newspapers the more success he got the more leverage he had to do whatever the hell he wanted to do. And I'm guessing that started, he wasn't as boxed in as the early issues were. And that that's what the, the first volume I read was. It was just kind of like, by the book storytelling, it was definitely darker, it was definitely grittier. There's more action being crammed into five or ten pages in these small vignettes. So I could see what the appeal was, but I didn't watch, again, I'm watching the evolution in weeks, not years like you yeah. were. Yeah, and you know, I mean, Spirit is sort of like a limited because it's fundamentally like a superhero detective comic. So he's not going to kind of be able to do the sort of, and it's also being printed in a newspaper. So there are certain constraints that he has to adhere to. I mean, I will say like though, like the title pages of the Spirit, like I I know like Will Eisner is really known for that, like the Spirit title Mm -hmm. pages. And those are just really kind of beautiful to behold and really kind of creative. and exceptional at just setting a tone like even compared to like the first issue which is it's actually it actually kind of looks like a very conventional comic the first panel just shows it just has the 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 title the spirit by will eisner and it shows like the spirit's big grinning face that's the first panel and then you compare it to some of the later panels which feels so much grittier crammed full of detritus of the city's detritus it really kind of almost makes the environment of the of the spirit a character which is of course something that he does to great effect later on in in some of the later comics that we're going to talk about you know i remember when the the 
Frank Miller movie, The Spirit, came out. I went to go see it, right? Because it's Oh, did you see it? I never actually saw it. I saw the trailer and I was like, I don't think this looks like The Spirit. But did you like it? I mean, it's hard. It's... It was in the era of comic peak, comic, not even peak, early comic book movies, right? Where Sin City had just come out, and I think The Spirit came out after Sin City. I oh, definitely don't remember. Yeah, it definitely yeah. came out because the the reason The Spirit got made was because Sin City did so well. Yeah. I remember being entertained. I don't remember if it was any good. Because I saw it in theaters. This is when, you know, I was young. I didn't have kids. I just went to see whatever I could. The ratings are pretty bad on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I'm just looking at it right now. So I'm curious. I think I actually, I liked it enough that I I probably own a copy of it just because back then I owned all the comic book movies. But yeah, wow. Was the, was, are the comics that you read, were they, did they all kind of revolve around like women and femme fatales? Because I was just watching the trailer before just to kind of refresh my memory. Um, and it struck me that like the whole story of the spirit is just revolved around like all of the strange women that he knows, which is a distinctly Frank <laughs> Miller thing. I feel. I mean, uh, again, I'm I was reading it sequentially, so there's pretty much like one master femme fatale villain who's kind of pulling the strings. I could be misremembering it, but there's there's a rogues gallery that's kind of introduced, but he basically vanquishes most of them pretty quickly. But the I believe this woman femme fatale character recurred more than a few times. The movie makes it look like it's basically just just a, just the spirit cycling through a bunch of strange, super attractive women. And I, I, I didn't get the sense like that's, you know, I mean, obviously there are femme fatales who recur within the spirit's adventures, but it didn't it didn't strike me as like that is what the spirit, the Will Eisner comic is actually about. <laughs> also that's, that's also probably yeah some selective some selective storytelling by frank miller right, right and you know obviously the visual style of frank miller's the spirit movie is much more reminiscent of sin city than will eisner's the spirit which is very brightly colored if you were to google one thing don't google the spirit trailer i would google the spirit title full movie or the spirit covers yeah but but look up some of the title pages that because they really are evocative art and honestly like the construction of the pages and the kind of grittiness is, it feels like it's years ahead of its time, but it really is the cover pages that stand out in a big way. Yeah, I, I think like Martin Scorsese always said about movie, po- well, he knocks you actually, I know where Martin Scorsese said this. So Martin Scorsese said in a, literally in a, in a champagne commercial that he shot, that movie posters are like the dream of a movie. And I feel like Will Eisner's title pages of the spirit are like, a dream of the comic of the story that he's going to tell in that particular issue. All right. So let's, let's move on to like, ice. you don't like, work. you don't like, you don't like the dream thing. I like the dream. Okay. Well, I, I do. No, that's as, that's as nice of a bookend <laughs> as you can put on the spirit. I here, here's what I would say while we were talking, I feel bad that we didn't, as we, as we'll later discover, like we, we didn't read the same volumes of this Will Eisner work. And I kind of wish I had read the more abridged version because I was getting kind of more of the same in year one of the spirit. So I I literally, while we were speaking, I just requested the abridged version of the best of the spirit because I kind of do want to see how he evolves him and to kind of watch his storytelling kind of become more sophisticated because, you know, first crack at the spirit Will Eisner is, I would imagine, very different from 10 years in. Yeah, you, I mean, you can see the visual difference from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. I mean, just as you can see, like, the difference in, like, Calvin and Hobbes from the beginning and the end, or 
Cerebus, Dave Sims Cerebus from the beginning to the end. It, style, you can see him evolve his style, which is always kind of really exciting. Um, is the portrayal of women and minorities any different as it goes further, or is it kind of the same because it was kind of sign of the times? They're still very cartoony, right? And I mean, well, I mean, the portrayal of women is always going to be kind of, they're all attracted to Denny Colt. You know, it, they just, it just doesn't have that sort of nuance. I would say that in the comics that, it doesn't have the nuance that Will Eisner brings to his characters in his in his stuff that's more ripped from real life. As for this portrayal of minorities, hold on a sec. <coughs> Gonna have to edit that one out. Uh, ah, I inspired you. Um, uh, I snuck it in while I could. As as for his portrayal of minorities, I can't say because like I noticed it primarily in like the first comic that is in this collection, which is his origin story. And then later on, there's just no representation of them at all. So it's probably better that there is none because, oh, my God, volume one. (laughs) It's just like it's very cringe because that kind of sidekick character, the young black man, he's a recurring character and it is very problematic. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get Will Eisner canceled, let's talk about, do you want to talk about Contract with God since that was the one that I think left the, the biggest impression on you? And that's the one that, you know. Probably also left the biggest impression on me as well. Well, you know, one thing I want to clarify is, and it could be the publication date. So uh, New York, the big city, came out in the early 80s. So you're saying Contract with God came out in the 70s? I think 78. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so chronologically, for sure. Because if there's one of these books that really stood out more than anything else, it was Contract with God. And what's interesting about that is this is one... We've actually spoken about reading multiple times on this podcast, so I'm glad we finally did, because it's, if I'm correct, it's basically, let's assume we're both reading the same one. There were multiple stories, but the the volume that I have is basically three key stories. Is, or was there more to yours? No, that's the one I have. Okay. It's, it's the, it's, it's Contract with God, which is the, the title story about the, the man who loses his daughter and becomes kind of an asshole. And then you have the story of the Super. of the of the uh, no the singer the the singer who who Super uh, then singer yeah oh it's actually for me it's the other way around a singer then super you might be right here you're right yeah okay but yeah contract with God singer and then super so it's basically three stories these kind of vignettes but long form vignettes of these individual characters and then you and then you have the one on vac- where they're all on vacation did you did you read that one oh yeah 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 that's a good one yep. Yeah, so they're all really interesting, really good. They all kind of show these really complex personalities, all within the the context of this one tenement complex. And it's really, it's a, it's, I'm a sucker for period pieces on TV, right? Be it Mad Men, Boardwalk Empire, For All Mankind, and so... This is a very narrow sliver of a period piece, of a moment in time in New York City. This is not a New York City we know. It's a... Uh, and it and it's also a very, like, specific socioeconomic class. So it, it was just, like, really a, a deep character study of a moment in time, which I, just, I was just really drawn to. Yeah, one thing that really struck me in, in Contract with God is how much the tenement neighborhood, the buildings, are as much of a character as well the actual characters and even when they get out of the tenement complex in the last issue with the when they're all going on vacation 
even that, you know, even that environment is is very much a character. And, you know, even it, it, you always kind of have the sense of all of these people who are kind of thrown together and their conflicting personalities and then the weird dramatic shit that they all get up into based off of the misunderstandings they have. Well, I'm, there's a hell of a lot of misunderstandings that cause these really kind of strange, ironic well, it, reversals. It, it, it's all rooted in the culture of the tenements. Like yeah. Their personalities are so driven in the environment that they all there's, come from. There's this constant striving to to get ahead in almost all of them, maybe except the super, right? Because you have, you know, the opening the opening issue with the with Frim Hirsch, and he loses his daughter, and he's like, "Fuck it, you know, I'm gonna just you know take over this complex. I'm gonna just make money. I'm sick of trying to do good because I just lost my daughter." And so you have him kind of kind of moving his way up in the world. Then you've got the singer, and he's trying to. You know, just try. He's trying to make a living, and this other woman that he encounters sees him as a means. She's really impressed with his voice, and she's like, "I've discovered the singer," and she sees him as as a means to to escape. And then, of course, in in the when they, everyone goes on vacation, a lot of the people are going there because they want to meet either a rich girl or a rich rich guy to again to to elevate themselves away from this from this tenement from this from these this tenement lifestyle. And so that seems to be this constant, and they actually also the, that theme also kind of shows up quite a bit in in his New York stories. This this idea of you know constantly trying to trying to get out of the, the the complex and being thwarted because of some misunderstanding, or when you finally do get out of the tenement complex, there I think there's one story in New York stories where they escape to the suburbs and realize they they kind of hate it there. It's, well, it, it's just kind of like push. It's this push and pull of the city, right? And I mean, I yeah. would say that. That continues to exist, but it's just so much more raw and visceral, maybe because it's like the stripped down black and white comic and it's a different era. That's not us, but it's, you know, and I don't live in the city like you do, but it's like this getting a bigger apartment or I I don't know. It's this propulsion, this push and pull of the city that kind of propagates people's personalities and you're either made for it or you're not. And even the people who are trying to get out or the people who are trying to make a better life or, you know, marry up or down or whatever, or sleep around, there's this kind of momentum and momentum's the wrong word. It's like this, this agitation almost that, that it's just like, you can see it between the lines uh, of everything he draws. Yeah. And, and I think what helps with that is that there's this constant sort of claustrophobia throughout like pretty much all of and you know that's that's because he's writing these stories that take place in the city he's writing these stories that take place between the walls of these tenement complexes and in these really cramped apartments where people are you know they're shoved together it's it's interesting because we're talking about like the spirit kind of being locked into this panel structure and with contract with god he actually completely does away with the with the with panels and he just tells a story you know the way he wants to tell it. And in some instances, you know, it's just each it's, he's telling the story in in what would essentially be splash pages. And yet, even then it feels sort of claustrophobic. And that's, it's, it's interesting because it's not just atmosphere. It also, that kind of claustrophobia is sort of what dictates what happens in the story. For instance, in the singer, right? You he's always you have this lone drunken singer who's always who's always, you know, kind of 
in kind of maneuvering within these vast tenement labyrinths, labyrinths, you know, singing to people and hoping that they throw coins and money at him. And, you know, I mean, the very nature of his job wouldn't exist, of course, without those tenements, without those huge looming structures full of people kind of staring down at him. And of course, at the end, when he's looking for the woman who would be his benefactor, he can't find her because he's just been drunk singing around this labyrinthine structure. And so like the very, it's it's not just like atmosphere, it it actually plays a direct role in the outcome of these stories. And I think that's like super, that's just one of the coolest things about, about these, about Will Eisner's New York stories and Contract with God. Uh, of the four stories, which is your favorite? I, I like them. I like them all for different reasons. I would probably say the vacation story just because it's so complex. There's so line. Many... Yeah, Kuka line. Is that how you pronounce it? I was trying to figure out how to pronounce it. Kuka. German, yeah. Kuka uh, okay. alone in German, yeah. So uh, that one, because that there's so many different characters, it almost feels like a Robert Altman movie where you're just kind of thrown into this milieu and... Yeah. You know, you meet all of these different people and you don't know why you're meeting them. And then as the story goes along, you actually kind of start to see how they connect and how they're going to inter- how their lives are going to intersect. And each, even though it's like, oh, they're all part of the same story, each character goes through a very different, usually pretty fucked up journey. And I just thought the handling of that was just completely masterful. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing I liked about it was not just the history lesson of, oh, Here's this other facet of these tenement dwellers' lives. How do they go on vacation? But it almost like pulls back the curtain to go deeper on their lives, right? Like yeah. How do they celebrate? How do they sleep around? What happens when the family's away? It just it it's the same characters propul you know with this propulsion from their city life, but like how that impacts when they go out into the suburbs. The the kind of habits and practices that kind of form. It was definitely the most, it was kind of a nice bookend because to me, the other one contract with God was arguably the most moving story because it's a singular focus on this one man's trauma and his journey. So it's like what you start out with like the super hyper focus on one man and you close with the full ensemble cast. Like, mm. yeah, to your point, a Robert Altman or an episode of Seinfeld where everything's intertwined. Yeah. Th- it's, Contract with God almost feels like a fable, right? Because you almost have this sort of religious supernatural element of this guy. He makes a contract with God. His daughter dies. He feels God has rejected his, his betrayed the contract and he rejects, he renounces God. And it goes um, all in for capitalism. It goes all in for capitalism and it ends in almost like a fabulistic way, right? Like, oh, and at the end he has a heart attack and dies sort of, it's a very almost, it's a very kind of simplistic end that you would associate with a fable and it's a great way to kind of kick off the book because this guy is of course the owner of the tenement complex where all of the shit starts to take place and then you know the next story i think is much more complex with the singer and the woman who wants to be his benefactor and you know both the singer and that that, that one read like a, a comedy the the, the singer it, was it, a yeah comedy yeah. oh it, it definitely it, it was it, it but it also you know you i mean yeah there's some of the moments here are just hilarious like when she's like making love to him and he's like uh, kind of just going along with it, not saying anything. Yeah. yeah. And then part of the job, part of the job. But, and then, you know, uh, again, Will Eisner's strength, like when she's calling the guy, this calling Max and saying, Hey, remember me? It's Marta. I, I have this great singer. And you can see, you know, 
her go through all of these different emotions as Max, you know, we never hear what Max says, but we know that Max is saying, oh, you know, kind of like, you know, could you go away? And she starts to beg. <laughs> and then finally Max says, okay, I'll bring me the singer and I'll listen to him. And she's like, yes, it's going to work. And, you know, I mean, I think I mentioned in the introduction how expressive Eisner's characters are, but this is just a great example of it. Like she is just so, I mean, she's like an opera singer going through all of these big, bold emotions that Eisner sort of illustrates. And that kind of lends to the comedy, that roller coaster ride of her being begging, crying, and then finally just the sheer elation as she gets what she wants finally. And this is all takes place. <laughs> this all takes place two pages. This is it's a two page sequence. And then she and then Eisner kind of moves on to the to the to the loser dude that she's yeah. that she's that she's hoping to sponsor. And, you know, and again, they all have their own, you know, kind of very rich lives. You know, this fallen, this opera singer who seems to have fallen out of favor, this drunk and his family, his wife, who's completely disappointed in him. And even, you know, when he goes to the bar later on to try to, to try to get some, to try to get a drink. And he's sort of boasting about his big opportunity. And all of this is packed in a very short story. We get so much character, so much detail, so much, so much atmosphere in just a, in a few short pages. And I, I don't think that's, well, that's easy to do. And, and I think that's why A Contract with God is the strongest of this batch of Eisner that we read, because it's, it's four stories. They're very self-contained. Mm. But there, there's a narrative pace that just delivers a punch. You know, it's like watching, it's like the, a great short story and it's not this vignette that's leading to something else it's not serialized there's a point there's a theme there's a moral so to speak in each of these and because that's what like the spirit again i get recognizing it was early in his life the constraints of the newspaper but even new york stories like these are just kind of like the new york stories are just so small and again they're compact some some are 10 pages some are two pages but it's more of a joke and a riddle with each one whereas Contract with God is a series of, of just really beautiful, compact, punch you in the gut stories, you know, and I, I think that's I think that's probably why I appreciate it the most. So what I liked about I know we didn't talk about the super, which is also another story that I, I really liked, but probably my least favorite, actually, because I just it was a character, you know, it yeah, really I, felt like an extended story out of the New York stories. Yes, but what I really liked about it is the this the environment this this character who is sort of like a troll i just really like the environment that he that he lived in i mean it was such a it's it's part of the same tenement complex that all of these other stories take place in but it's underground right and when you kind of you know he's very much like this this troll kind of dwelling in a cave with his guard dog and that's kind of what I, even though the story itself is a little bit it's simplistic and you know the girl's a bit of a caricature he is he, he the super is a caricature as well i just liked i guess seeing this 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 particular aspect of the tenement complex and i guess you know we talk about a little bit like how the title story is sort of like a fable this also yeah. kind of felt like a fable as well, and in part, you know, because of the simplicity of the story and the reversal at the end, but also because of 
how this character is illustrated. He's like this monster under a bridge. Like literally he's like yeah, yeah. glowering in these archways under in, in a boiler room full of smoke. And so that's, there's, there's no, there's no like moral to the story. It's more of a no. cautionary tale. It's yeah. Like no, I, sort of thing. Yeah. I, I would agree with that, but I, I, I kind of, you know, in, in, in a way it's, it's sort of like this, this super who's com- this guy who's completely outsmarted by this, by this little girl who, who's little, who's, evil herself <laughs> she, yeah she's kind of evil That's she it. poisoned the dog so but i mean it's it's not necessarily the narrative of this one like I, you asked me what was my favorite story it was the it was the last one which because it had all of this all of this rich complexity of people clashing against each other and you know super doesn't really have that it's just one very simple story with a reversal at the end but i really liked how it was illustrated and the the environment that Iser was able to create with the super kind of like toiling away in this boiler room in his little man cave uh, full of pictures of like naked women. And so that's, that's what I felt really elevated it. Even if the story itself was sort of like, okay. So I guess as, as you kind of go through, as you know, we've kind of for a long time known who Will Eisner is, you know, his name is synonymous with the Oscars of comics does it make sense why why he kind of deserves that uh oh yeah yeah well you know like i mean he just takes these big i I mean even though like he takes these big bold leaps in the way he tells the story and in the types of stories that he tells i feel like even like the new york stories which you know you know they're they're not as complex but I feel at least the the edition I read, which I think is only like the first quarter of your edition, you kind of have like a more collected edition, uh, New York, the big city. He's kind of like he's kind of like looking at the infrastructure that characterizes New York City from the brownstone, from the from the balconies and the stoops to the fire hydrants to the gutters. And he's trying to tell stories based off of that infrastructure, which I think is a really ambitious thing to do. It's a really weird thing to do, but a really cool thing to do. And so naturally not all of your story is going to have like a lot of complexity and moving parts because it's, I mean, honestly, there's some stories he tells from the point of view of a gutter. And I think that's <laughs> like such a ballsy thing to even consider. And it also kind well, of, well, well, but what's interesting uh-oh. about that is you made the joke about pinups on the intro like pretty much every the parts that you read, which that's kind of what made me tired of it because I was kind of seeing the same shtick over and over again. But these kind of like two page vignettes about something, a gutter, a ring, a grating, a lamppost, and any two of those pages could be pinned up on your wall and be really cool art in your apartment. Right. That that speaks to something about the city. But actually, the, and this is why I thought uh, these New York stories came before A Contract with God. Uh, once I decide to kind of revisit and try to finish the rest of it, he has these like really deep vignette stories. Like the building is four stories of these four spirits who haunt a building. And as I'm flipping through what I finally didn't get to read, they're these kind of longer narratives and stories, which are more evocative of Kukulain and Contract with God. So I guess it feels like he eventually gets there. But if you only read the first third, you think it's like these New Yorker style vignettes. So anyway, there, there's there's more depth to be found. 
in the rest of his New York stories. That's closer to what I think we got in A Contract with God. I hear what you're saying. I just think it's really ambitious that he decides to tell stories from the point of view of like a mailbox. And it's like, it's such a, it's, again, it's such a crazy experiment, but I think he pulls it off. Even if you do get tired of it after a while, like you don't want to read like 200 pages of it, but in a row, in a row, in a row. In a row right. But I mean, it just kind of like shows you the sort of, the sort of like cartoonist that he is, the sort of master cartoonist that Eisner is. And it also kind of, shows I would almost, like, I would almost have rather preferred these like two page vignettes, right? Imagine Imagine these two-page Will Eisner vignettes showing up every week in the New Yorker, right? Like that's oh, that'd be kind of cool. That's yeah. the that's the delivery vehicle because then you get time to sit with the two pages. Not okay. I got to read these two pages. Move on to the next. Yeah, the, okay. They're not they're not really conducive to like fast reading or to you know flip through it, yeah, flip through yeah. it, flip through it. But I, I will say like his his love for the city really kind of comes out. I know that you know people say like with Marvel, you know they, you know it's very much. Um, those Marvel, you know, those the, the Marvel superheroes are very much placed in New York City, and New York City is very much a part of you know the Marvel universe, which it is. But I would say, like Will Eisner, like he really, you can kind of really see his love for the city and the way he's he's he kind of reveres the city. Yeah, yeah Marvel, Marvel is more literary, right? It's just kind of like, oh, this happens in Times Square, or this is a very uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will yeah. Eisner gets the texture of the city. Will Eisner gets the texture. Of the I, city. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, like. Marvel will just kind of like set something in the backdrop of like yeah Times Square or the GW Bridge, but this really kind of captures like that attitude of the city and the feel of the city as 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 much as possible. And I I think that's it. Actually, kind of reminded me a little bit of 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 roaming, you know, because that's also yeah. sort of like very a very detailed look at the city of New York City. During a specific time, just as like the, per- the personality of a time. Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. Just like Will Eisner's kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's the appeal. That's the appeal of these latter two books is it's a period piece, be it like small montages, vignettes, or even kind of a short stories. But there's an authenticity to the texture that that kind of he that he's able to kind of weave and paint around. So yeah. and, you know, it's so funny, like compared to the spirit, like it's night and day different. It's just like. If you didn't know they were by the same artist, you would not know that these are, yeah, they're so different. Yeah, he places you in the city in a way that, you know, it's just, yeah, it, I think it's just so hard to do. He, he, You actually feel like when, when in the opening panels of Contract with God, when the guy is kind of like slogging through the rain and it's just soaked and wet, you can feel that discomfort in your own skin. And I, it's just, I'm not sure how he does it, but it, it's unlike a lot of and anyone else really who who's working in comics either before him or or after so uh, ryan i gotta ask i mean now that you've read you know we've read pretty much the, the largest swath of will eisner that any other like mediocre comic book podcast has done would you recommend will eisner to- yeah I, I you know him mean, he's he really does kind of stand the test of time and his work is just kind of awe-inspiring so i absolutely would how about you yeah, I, I think you have to do the work. You know, I feel like I don't think of this as work. This is no, I mean, this... no. I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like, like with music, like, you know, it's easy to listen to whatever's cool that you want to hear that that tickles your fancy, but then to do the work to go properly listen to the Beatles or Bob Dylan. I feel like if you appreciate comics, you have to have a point of view on Frank Miller, on Scott McCloud, on Will Eisner, etc. And 
specifically because of his influence. And what's what's interesting is like the spirit, as, as frustrating as it was to read, it was really cool to kind of see the influence. Like, and you can kind of see it emanating off the page. But when you get to New York and Contract with God, you just it's it's transporting, you know, and a way comics have that way of doing it, but there's this like magnetism to the work that I'm glad I read it. And I honestly, I wouldn't have read it if I didn't say, Oh, it's about time. I read some Will Eisner. So, um, Roman, I guess that brings me to my last question, which is what are we reading next week? Oh man. Well, I don't think we have enough weeks in the year to get through our ambitious goal of finishing the alphabet. So we're going to do it in one fell swoop for XYZ is for XYZ Comics by Robert Crumb. Ooh, <laughs> and that's clever. It, it's basically a classic underground comic book that's a stream of conscious tour de force. We're going to finish this thing with a bang. XYZ Comics. XYZ next Comics week. next week on Quarantine Comics. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since for sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.